Welcome to The Rate Debate, a lively discussion from the champions of Australian fixed income, featuring Darren Langer and Chris Rands from Nico Asset Management. Welcome to Episode 6 of The Rate Debate and thanks for joining us. I'm Darren Langer, Head of Australian Fixed Income at Nico Asset Management and with me is my co-portfolio manager, Chris Rands. Hello, everyone. It's June the 2nd, 2020, just after the RBA's monetary policy announcement, and the RBA has left monetary policy unchanged yet again, which has been the case since um, the emergency rate cuts and the announcement of yield curve control and quantitative easing back in March. Even with the RBA's past action and significant fiscal policy from the government, a recession still appears on the cards, and and yet both the RBA and the government appear to be at ease with their current settings, even to the point where the government um, found it had $60 billion of extra uh, money in the kitty and, and doesn't want to spend it. It seems to us that we're actually in a far worse position than we were back in the GFC, uh, and the RBA was much more responsive with rate cuts back in those days, and yet now they seem to be playing it quite safe. They're out of step with what's happening around the rest of the world, and they seem to be very unwilling to follow on with more unconventional monetary policy. It does appear that parts of our economy have opened sooner than expected, but we're still a long way from normal, Chris. Um, The RBA does seem at odds with their own statement that rates will be low until we reach full employment and have inflation back in the 2 to 3% band. Could you see anything in the data that would you give you any confidence that their work is done? I think when I look at the data, it does match up with what they're saying, but they just seem to be a little bit more optimistic looking forward than than what I kind of feel like at the moment. So if, if we kind of look at, at the headline stats, you know, last month, 600,000 people were unemployed. On top of that, there was 1.8 million people who worked reduced hours and 750,000 of those worked zero hours. So the unemployment problem looks to be relatively large. There's not actually anything we can really look back in Australian history unless you go back kind of 70, 80 years to, to think about this. And when you look at what the RBA was achieving before all of this happened, even when they had a 5% unemployment rate, they were, they were not close to, to hitting their inflation target over the past five years. So, so the starting point of this is to say the economic data looks bad um, and it's hard to see how they're going to hit their targets. But there was also a an ABS survey that recently came out and I just wanted to show some of the figures that were in that as well. So the ABS said that 19% of businesses renegotiated their rental lease arrangements, 16% of businesses had reported deferred loan payments, and 72% of businesses reported revenues decreased. So even coming from the business information, we're, we're seeing a, a pretty sour outlook at the moment. And to quote something that the RBA today, I think really captures this. This is straight from the the statement that they made. The Australian economy is going through a very difficult period and has experienced the biggest economic contraction since the late 1930s. In April, total hours work declined by an unprecedented 9% and more than 600,000 people lost their jobs. Household spending weakened very considerably and investment plans are being deferred or cancelled. So even that to me sounds relatively negative and, and I think they're probably letting on a little bit more optimism than they 
they probably should at the moment, but but that's kind of just what I'm looking at. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the amazing thing about the statement today is they're just talking about the domestic economy. They haven't mentioned anything about what's going on around the globe. Um, there's no mention of the fact that our currency has risen um, nearly 10 cents off what its recent lows were. Um, there's no mention of what's going on in China and, and the potential trade implications that we're likely to face over the next couple of months, that they seem to be just picking on one particular area of the economy and saying, oh, yeah, that looks looks a bit better, um, and then ignoring all of the uh, other implications. You know, even if we do get part of the economy open, we're still likely to be in a situation where social distancing and those kinds of things are going to be in place for some time. Um, a lot of our economy relies on tourism. Um, we can't even travel into state still in some instances, let alone start to get overseas tourists back into the country. It seems remarkably benign to me anyway, the sort of statement they put out. They're not saying things are getting you know, necessarily a lot better, but they seem to still be thinking that they don't have to do any more stimulus. And the government has taken that same sort of view. I actually had a, a few comparisons to to give on on that point as well. So uh, over the past kind of few weeks, I've been looking at what we've done in the past, and I think um, looking at two thousand and eight and two thousand and eleven is is interesting here. So in those periods, the RBA cut about two and a half to to four hundred basis points. So that's anywhere from kind of eight to fifteen rate cuts. At the moment, they've done two since this crisis started, and if you want to count last year's easing, but that was really for the housing market last year, you can kind of throw three more on top of that. So so they've done about kind of a third to a half of what they would usually do. But the, the data, as you say, is much worse. So in 2011, the unemployment rate went from 5% to 65 You know, we're probably already looking much worse than that. And in 2008, the unemployment rate went from 4% to 6%. In both of those periods as well, the year-on-year growth rate in Australia didn't even go negative. So you know, we saw much more easing coming in 2011 and 2008 than we've already seen, even though the economic data looks to be far worse than that now. So the fact that they're kind of trying to stop early looks like they're not operating the way that they would in the past. And that's probably something more to do with their reluctance to do unconventional policies than potentially wanting to do more cuts if they had it. Yeah, I think that's that's hits the nail pretty much on the head. I mean, if if you look around the world, um, yeah, this is a bit different to the GFC. We do have a lot more fiscal stimulus. I mean, the government has put quite a bit of money into to the economy itself, and there are other uh, other um, programs that they put in place that weren't in existence during the GFC. But but it's still not greatly. Um, bigger than what we've seen offshore. And in that instance, when you compare the monetary policy response of, say, the US Fed or or the ECB in Europe, the RBA seems to be a little light on um, in what it potentially has to do to get us back to a point where we might even be able to call growth and inflation at a normal level. We still seem a very long way from that. The question that I kind of wanted to pose this week that that we've been discussing internally a, a little bit is just the question of why is the RBA so much more reluctant than other central banks to, to cut? So as you say, we've done a little bit less than other central banks. If you, if you look across the world in terms of asset purchases, the RBNZ, the ECB, the Federal Reserve, they've bought about 7 to 15% of GDP in assets, whereas the RBA has only bought 3% and decided 
that that's enough for now. They keep telling us they can do more if they want to, but they're not really doing that. Now, given we're all in the same boat economically, we've all closed our economies, we're all looking at really dire information, you know, I think the question here is why does the RBA think that they can stop now and not really provide doing more? I guess you're looking for me for an answer. I wish I knew. I'd love to get uh, Phil Lowe on the line to sort of ask him. But, uh, you know, my my gut feel is that the RBA doesn't think um, monetary policy is much help in these environments. They believe probably there needs to be more from fiscal policy and they're probably trying to get the government to lead a little bit in that area. For them to do a lot more unconventional policy, I think they're going to have to be of the opinion that the government won't do anything more than what they've already done. And we probably start to see uh, probably, sorry, need to start seeing the data deteriorate, or at least when we start to get some hard data for it to be a lot worse than they expected and for it not to be improving. Yeah, I, I think then kind of naturally that the follow-on comes from that is just looking at the Aussie dollar. So as as you kind of said before, they, they didn't really mention the Aussie dollar today in their statement. If you look at the Australian dollar now, it's kind of a touch under 68 cents. If you kind of look back last year, it averaged over 2019 about 69 cents. So so essentially the Aussie dollar is, is right where it started in this mess. If we are the only country that decides that we're not going to go down this unconventional path, then that would be thought of to put pressure higher on our Aussie dollar. And you might think that eventually this comes back to them through an appreciating Aussie that just jeopardizes our growth into the future. So it's starting to get a little bit confusing, I think, on just how responsible you can be when when everybody else is is doing these policies. But it does feel right that at the moment they don't want to do it and they would they would love the government to probably spend that $60 billion that they just found in their back pocket. Yeah, I mean, without um, any inbound tourism as well, you know, being able to sell stuff overseas is probably the one thing that's going to benefit us the most. And having a lower dollar um, obviously makes that a lot easier. Um, If we start to become non-competitive with other countries um, for particular commodities or or, uh, other services that we sell offshore, it's going to be much more difficult to come out of this um, in any way, shape or form that's positive. So um, yeah, the, the currency again, you know, wasn't mentioned by the RBA, which is unusual because that they do tend to, to at least make a comment on whether they think a, a lower currency would help, but they've been quite quiet about that this time. So that kind of as well, I think, leads into the hypothetical of, you know, this, this crazy world that we find ourselves in at the moment. If you had have asked me kind of six to 12 months ago about what I would think risk assets are doing in this hypothetical environment where unemployment has risen above 10%, businesses are shut for three months, you know, there's there's riots going on overseas, there's a virus that's infected millions of people, there's a trade war narrative starting to brew, Australia's getting caught up in it. All of these things feel like typically it's a pretty risk-off type of environment. But at the moment, what we're seeing is risk assets just keep kind of marching to new highs. You know, what what do you think that is going on in this environment that's really causing, I guess, the fundamentals to deviate from what you would expect? Very good question. Wish I had a very good answer. It does seem completely crazy that we're in a situation where equity markets are not obviously at their highs, but they're certainly um, now back at a, at a more 
comfortable level that they've been in the last year or so. If anything, at least in Australia, we we see yields in the longer end of our um, bond curve actually 40, 50 basis points higher. So even though monetary policy needed to be cut to help the economy, we're actually seeing longer dated bond yields higher than where they were before this crisis. It doesn't really make sense if you really believe we're um, in a recession and slash maybe even depression environment. There's little stimulus in the economy you know, rates are not that conducive to helping growth, uh, certainly not from what we're used to throughout the, uh, the, the 80s, 90s and 2000s, where we, we saw, you know, rates used as a, a fairly um, blunt tool to um, stimulate growth. So it's, it's really hard to sort of comprehend, given everything you've sort of mentioned before, how financial markets seem to be so relaxed about everything. I don't really see why they're that comfortable. What do you think? The more I think and, and kind of look at this, I kind of land at at this idea in my head that it's kind of the not so invisible hand in that, you know, typically in economics, it's all about market forces and these types of things. And what we're seeing at the moment is just huge central bank buying. So if you look at, for example, the S&P 500, if you look at that year on year, it's up about 4% at the moment. So even though we're sitting in this kind of really concerning economic environment, equities still seem to be doing okay. And it seems to be that that US market is also the place where the most buying has come from the central bank. So the Fed has bought $3 trillion worth of assets. They've backstopped junk bonds. They've been buying credit. And rather than kind of allowing market forces to, to play out, to, to decide how they're going to take risk, they're just kind of buying a lot of assets and, and encouraging people to go into trades that maybe they wouldn't have if you were just thinking of the fundamentals. And, you know, it, it's very hard to kind of sit here and say, you know, there's these riots going on, there's, you know, talks of a trade war. And then at the same time, every day, just watching equities go higher and higher. It's starting to kind of not mesh well with what you would think fundamentally, but every day you just come and come in and it, it seems to be the exact same narrative. I look at markets at the moment and to me, they're almost in a state of relative calm. The only thing we probably are still seeing to some extent is liquidity issues in, in some markets. Certainly credit bonds in particular are still nowhere near the level of um, liquidity and spreads are still quite wide in that market, which compared to equities is sort of a bit unusual. You know, one of the things we've talked about the last few months is that there is still quite a considerable amount of default risk in the market. We still don't know which companies are going to come out of this still intact. We don't know which ones um, have a business model that no longer exists. You'd still have to be fairly uh, sceptical about how anything linked to the aviation and travel industry is going to survive over the next couple of uh, months, let alone next couple of years. You know, I, I find it hard to imagine, given what we saw in the GFC when the banks were in trouble and we saw, you know, bank prices not only in equities but also in bonds get absolutely hammered. You know, we're not really seeing that, you know, like airlines, yes, we, we've obviously seen airline prices and things like that drop dramatically, but, but in general, credit's been relatively well-behaved. Equity have been relatively well-behaved. It's almost as if until we actually see some actual hard data that people aren't going to take it as seriously as perhaps they, they should. Yeah. And I mean, to kind of, I guess, play devil's advocate a little bit on, on the other side is to say, well, maybe that the recovery that the RBA is talking about, that they're hoping comes, maybe the 
the, the risk markets are pricing a higher likelihood of that outcome occurring than perhaps you and I. Now, given the economic data, it doesn't look like that should be the sanest thing to do, but there, there could also be the chance here that this kind of positive outcome that the RBA is hoping for actually does eventuate. I guess as well to kind of go back to when we were talking about the RBA and, and why they're doing a little bit less and, and kind of thinking about those ideas, there could be a chance here that given risk assets are performing so well, they're reluctant to do more con- unconventional policy and kind of push those prices even higher. Because one of the criticisms that you generally get of these unconventional policies is that they don't really flow into the real economy, but they do lift asset prices extremely uh, strongly, and that can drive inequality and all sorts of other things. So there could also just be a little bit of reluctance from them in this case because risk markets are, are treating this outcome at the moment so benign. And perhaps they would change their view if the risk markets were to fall, but at the moment it just doesn't look like that's coming in the near term. Certainly that could well be the case, and you would imagine that the RBA will be uh, treading very carefully. It's more, I guess, looking forward it's hard to see that coming to fruition. Just given past recessions, you know, when you have sort of wealth and um, sort of uh, business destruction on the scale that we've seen, things don't generally just snap back instantaneously, no matter how much we would like them to. That's generally not the case. And that's why I say we, we really need to start seeing some hard data to to back that up. Um, a lot of the the data we've seen has been more um, sentiment driven rather than real, and a lot of the data is still coming through from sort of January February period. We haven't really seen much come through from March um, and April. You know, we we could potentially be wrong, and you know, it would be probably a good thing if we are. But you know, I I still would much prefer to see the data first before we start getting too excited. We, we seem to be, again, spending the, uh, the gains um, that we don't actually have yet. Yeah, and I, I think that, that, that as well is why I really liked that quote just coming straight out of the RBA statement today on, on the decision that they've made where they've said, the economy is experiencing the biggest economic contraction since the 1930s. So yes, we can kind of hope that the data picks up later. We can hope that the recovery is faster than... Uh, we would expect. But this is the worst economic conditions that the Australian economy has been in since the 1930s. And if you go back generally and you look at recessions, whether it's the US, the UK, you know, it generally takes two to three years to come out of those properly. So it is going to be a protracted recovery that takes a bit of time. And I, I think the market is getting a little bit ahead of itself in terms of what it's what it's kind of thinking about here. But at the same time, the amount of liquidity that's just getting pumped into the markets by the central banks is is probably what seems to be overweighing that at the moment. So it is very hard to think about on the fundamental terms, but I think you just need to look at it more broadly and say what could be doing this at the moment. When I think back to the GFC, many people expected us to come out of that in one to two years. There were certain commentators around that said, no, it's going to take 10 years. In general, they were kind of ridiculed, but they, they they were the ones that were actually right. It did take about 10 years to sort of, you know, I wouldn't say fully recover, but to sort of get back to a point where, um, you know, things were on a on a much better footing when where they'd been. I, I just wonder whether we're making the same mistakes again, getting too optimistic, expecting a really quick outcome where history tells us otherwise. 
The other sort of thing that sticks in the back of my mind is a lot of the things that we've been talking about over the, the past few years and months, things like aging populations, increasing inequality, all those kinds of other issues that are still in the background haven't gone away. We still have issues to do with climate change, which will eventually come back, uh, I guess, to the forefront. When we look at the, the backdrop of all those things that were already happening and we were worried about future growth anyway. This is just another stick on the pile of things to worry about. And again, that's why we're, I guess, a bit more negative perhaps than uh, some that are out there. Yeah, though some, some of those things as well, as, as we've kind of talked about, are going to be there for a long time. But it's probably a bigger issue that needs to be kind of fleshed out more uh, perhaps in the future. But I, I think the inequality idea is also an interesting one to kind of look at and and see what's going on at the moment because, as we've said, you know, asset prices are holding up pretty well. But at the same time, 600,000 jobs have been lost and, and those jobs were probably concentrated in kind of some of the, the more vulnerable parts of society, whether it's, you know, uni students who are working in, in cafes and those types of things. So there is actually the chance that inequality gets worse from this outcome because the, the central bank policies are keeping asset prices where they are. And at the same time, the job losses are coming in that lower kind of more vulnerable part of society. So, you know, these bigger picture trends could actually end up being magnified through this process, but that's just something we're going to have to watch and wait to see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the other areas, I mean, more domestic front is house prices. You know, that's another one of our pet topics that we talk a lot about. Um, it's been interesting so far, given the, um, you know, one of the biggest impacts to housing is always unemployment. And admittedly, the government has done a fair bit to try and smooth that out. But you know, we haven't seen any real decline in house prices or what we have seen is much more minimal. And, and as you pointed out earlier, um, the RBA, um, certainly in 2015 and then, and, and then late last year as well, cut rates to stimulate house um, prices as they, as they started to fall. You know, if we start to see a big drop in um, house prices, what, what do you think the RBA can do from here, Chris? Well, it, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit hard for them because they've obviously shown already that they're kind of not too enamoured with the idea of unconventional policies. But my, my feeling is that the big risk for the housing market is going to come when the JobKeeper subsidies are eventually turned off because that is when the people, I guess, who have probably, you know, potentially come under a little bit of mortgage stress are going to find it even harder because that's when their payments would be reduced. For the RBA though, you know, they've shown that typically when house prices start to decline, they cut rates. They've told us they're going to be very reluctant to do uh, negative rates. So I, I kind of haven't thought too much about them thinking about that at the moment. But I would think that if house prices begun to show signs of their falling, they're going to have to buy more bonds and do QE. At the moment, they've told us they can buy more if they wanted to. So at that point in time, they would probably want to. And to put some of this into perspective, there's been a bit of research on the effectiveness of QE, what it does. Um, some of the research that I said that I saw said that a 10% buying 10% of GDP in assets. So for the Australian government, that so for the RBA, that would be about $200 billion of, of purchases. That's equivalent to about one, one and a half percent cut in the cash rate. 
So, you know, if house prices were were to start to fall and you would you would think that they'd need to react similarly that they did in 2015 or 2019 where they cut about 100 points, you know, they might need to buy 10% worth of assets in QE. That would be kind of my first step. And then if that didn't work, I think that's when we'd start looking at whether, whether or not we need to really have the negative rate discussion in Australia. The other thing is too that, as we discussed, the government has about $60 billion that it was expecting to spend um, that it hasn't spent uh, because of the reworking of the JobKeeper numbers. Um, I, I guess, you know, come September, they always have that option to use that money to extend it if needed. And that would probably take some of the pressure off the RBA, at least from a, an easing point of view to protect housing. But it then obviously inflates the amount of uh, bonds that need to be issued into the market. And then, you know, the RBA is probably going to have to end up supporting the bond market um, as there's likely to be, a, you know, more bonds than there are demand for, which was the original fear and the reason the RBA dipped into QE to start off with. So there's going to be some interesting uh, times ahead. There's so many variables that things could happen. It again, makes me wonder why markets are so so happy to sort of just buy the happy story rather than perhaps take a little bit more of a cautious approach. Okay, so just to, just to conclude our chat today, we've seen the RBA come out and basically stick to the status quo. There's no further uh, monetary policy um, at this stage. Uh, they seem relatively happy with the what they've done so far and the way the economy is responding. We still believe that there are a few few issues for them to deal with looking forward. We've seen the Aussie dollar um, rise considerably, certainly a lot more than would be considered to be stimulatory. We don't think that they've really mentioned a lot about what's happening offshore, and that really um, has a big impact on, on on what happens in Australia. And there still seems to be, you know, a lot of unknowns out there in relation to how does the virus progress from here, how quickly can we get the economy up and running, and what the long-term implications are from such a huge shock to the system. Uh, lots of unanswered questions. Hopefully, some of them will uh, get covered in our next couple of uh, rate debates in the in the next few months. But uh, you know, to us, we we we're just a bit surprised at how. Uh, happy markets are at the moment and it just does appear to be a little bit too much optimism for the the amount of um, unknowns um, out there at the moment. So that, that's it for this month. Uh, if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to email us at the rate debate at nicoam.com and we look forward to cover them in our, in our upcoming episodes. Just a reminder that we do publish regular content, uh, which you can find on our website at nicoam.com.au. So tune in next month when we deliver our latest thoughts on the RBA's July rate decision and provide an update on what's happening in markets in the economy. Until then, stay safe. This podcast was prepared by Nico AM Limited, ABN 9900337625256 AFSL number 237563. It is of a general nature only and does not constitute personal advice or an offer of any financial product. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any individual. Any references to particular securities or sectors are for illustrative purposes only and this is not a recommendation. Any economic or market forecasts are not guaranteed.